0: When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast. It's the centenarian 55th podcast. I know it has got to be a Latin term for that.
1: Yeah, don't ask me.
0: 55. Well, I mean, we're... we're, uh, Involved in classical education, we, are, we yeah. should know Latin by now. We should. No, we're just making sure other people do. Yeah, we need to talk to Headmaster <laughs> Ryland. Can we get some Latin up in here? Maybe it's been a while since Ryland's been on. We got to have him on again soon. Yeah, Principal Auger, the Principal Auger, Saint Augustine, Saint Augustine. He knows Latin. He does. He does know Latin, and he teaches young minds to learn Latin. So. Yeah. God bless him. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks for joining us. Again, this is episode 55 of mm-hmm. the Dominion Podcast. Thanks so much to everybody who has uh, subscribed in the last couple of weeks. We've had a lot of people subscribe to the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had a lot of views on the last uh, two episodes with uh, Pastor Jacob Riome mm-hmm. and Laura Claussen. So hopefully those are uh, having some effect and encouraging the saints. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun shooting both those yeah
1: we did and yeah. it's nice i mean i've learned actually i knew this a little while ago that some people watch a dominion podcast for their date night which yeah. means we're basically third wheeling on it that's right so wherever you wherever you go there we are i didn't know we were yeah. also helping people's marriages yeah
0: yeah shout out to uh, ryan and jenna yeah i know you're watching this on wednesday night yeah next it, wednesday enjoy right now yeah enjoy <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of other things you guys could be doing that would be more productive than watching us. But I'll let uh, let you guys decide what to do with your own time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, yeah, shout out to KCCS, Coortho Classical Christian School, our mm-hmm. unofficial official sponsors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just had our uh, celebration. celebration of excellence and graduation. Mm-hmm. We had our first student graduate. Yeah. Um, Rio. Yeah. Congratulations. And it was a great night. We had uh, the, when they when the they got up at the beginning and started singing, uh, "Jesus, what a friend of sinners." Mm-hmm. Oh, that just melted my heart. Yeah, and um, well, there was also a uh, a recitation of some epic poetry. Yes, Horace, uh, Horatius at, Horatio at, the at the bridge. Yeah, twenty a twenty minute long poem recited by memory by uh, two of the older students, which is just mind phenomenal. Blowing. Phenomenal. So. Yeah, that's what we uh, that's what we were doing this week. One,
1: one of my takeaways, and really a plug for a classical education, a classical Christian education, is that it is built upon a biblical view of what it means to be a human and what a child is and how they learn and develop. And um, it was it was so encouraging. It wasn't a spectacle to see them do this. It was just it served as an indictment on our culture, which treats children like they are dogs or cats or something, that yeah. they are so beneath being capable of any, you know, worthy aspirations mm-hmm. except to become narcissistic little, you know, activists. Yeah. And, and the people, the students, um, literally for four months, it took only four months to memorize 20 minutes of poetry speaking very fast. I don't and know how many words that is. Complicated
0: was, language too. Yeah. Not just... You know, oh yes, yes. Mary had a, a little lamb. Yeah, like it was it's, like
1: older English yeah. speaking about you know with Greek names and this type of thing, and uh, even all the <clears> students, <throat> the grade, every single class yeah, did the all, recitations and they all had memorization. The, yeah. the JKS had ten or eleven lines of scripture memorized. Yep, and it it's not because our students are any different in nature than other no, children. Th- this
0: is what children are capable. Yeah, of. yeah.
1: they're capable of it, and. Um I walked away profoundly thankful uh for what the Lord's done in the school and in the hearts of the children and but also just really sad for the missed opportunity for other children mm-hmm. um who don't get to be pushed that way, whether it's in the school or whether it's at home, wherever mm-hmm. that is so yeah, just children can be pushed and they can be encouraged and they can delight in the rigor you know, and, yeah. and, uh, we need to yeah, get you, them.
0: You see these. that right on the ground. Cause you teach a little bit at the I school. Do, yeah. So what, what is that like when you're actually in the middle of these difficult lessons with, with the students? Yeah. Like, um,
1: well, one of the, so I teach history and what I've tried to focus on with the seven eights is a more Socratic method of instruction. So it's, it's questions and responses and, getting them to move past the memorization of, you know, names and dates, which are, which are crucial uh, to thinking critically um, in a true sense about what they're learning and applying it to their lives. And I mean, I don't remember really doing that until university Mm -hmm. until seminar. And this is, you know, grade seven and eight, and they're already thinking about, um, uh, they're thinking about the French revolution and the tearing down of systems and statues and whether that's a good thing. And, you know, what com- what came up after that and what's going on in the world around us now. And should we burn books and, you know, like we're making yeah. application. Yeah. are things that I didn't think about till 20 years later. Hmm. And uh, it's just, a it's a beautiful
0: thing. Yeah. I mean, we, we, I, we both grew up in, a system that treated students like information receptacles. Yeah, right. Downloading information. Yeah, but not really trying to awaken that um, wonder. Awaken that wonder in them. Yeah, and when you hear these kids like reciting these poems, even the younger ones that did shorter poems. Yeah, uh, some of them. Uh, was it the the kindergarten or the the uh, which grade was it that did uh, the, um, the, ride, it, the the ride the, the yeah the ours is not to question why (laughs) ours is
1: to do and die right yeah the lightning
0: brigade yeah that's right the the uh
1: was it the ride of the lightning brigade that's what it's called last ride it really had
0: a a profound effect on us you can see
1: yeah you can see that we are (laughs) cultured men yeah but yes that's that's an amazing poem and um yeah it was just praise god for what he's doing at the school and i encourage you to check it out the Classical, and um, yeah, see if we might be able to serve you and your family.
0: If you're not in our area, if you're you know in the western side of Toronto, there's yep. King Alfred Academy. Yeah, Waterloo, uh, great school. I believe Windsor is going to be opening one in the coming year yes. as well.
1: Harvest Windsor has a, a classical academy that's opening up, and uh, we would encourage parents to consider that and do everything they can um, to give their kids a top-notch
0: education. If you imagine all the kids that are in our care in these uh, faithful churches right yeah. now what does that look like in a generation yeah. after they've been discipled yeah. uh and and raised this way i mean that it's going to have a huge impact yeah. if we can uh, continue doing what we're doing
1: well it'd be interesting to get someone on who can talk more about the monasteries because what a lot of people don't a lot of people have a caricature of monks and monasteries as um Totally removed from culture, which in a yeah. sense they were, but they were uh, they preserved
0: culture. They so, did in a sense. It, the, the initial impulse of monasticism was more of a hermit impulse. Yes, and a lot of the a lot of the early people that became revered by the monks were sort of hermits that would go out in the desert and try and have some type of ecstatic experience. Yeah, uh, so that was kind of the the beginning of it, but it did turn into. Yeah. a preservation of information and that's how we still have all well that's a lot of the classical texts that, texts that we have yeah. are
1: because of monks yeah and so um, the, the 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 parallel I'm drawing here is is that culture burns. Uh, you preserve it, you yeah. preserve the best, the truth of God's word and his world. And you see, you know, who was it later? Charlemagne, who wanted his children. He couldn't read. He wanted his children to be able, so he got the monks to do it. Like yeah. who can teach? No one knows that. No one knows anymore. It's like, oh, well, these guys do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, raising our children, not retreating from the world to to escape it, but actually training them, preparing them for faithfulness and usefulness in, in mm. 20 years reminds, that's exciting reminds
0: me of that uh, bruce willis movie the fifth element remember that movie i oh, actually never saw it that's a really good movie uh, yeah. it's like sci-fi but there's this group of monks that have been uh preserving this long lineage of information through, yeah through millennia right and it comes into play in the story anyway fun movie good movie to watch yeah so, hey that's great good to get caught up how was your day <laughs> I literally have no yeah, idea. I, don't I, I walked. I walked the dog. I remember <laughs> you that were, much. Uh, you were setting up your office.
1: Yes, yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah, I was at school setting up the office. Got some work done there. Prepared for the pod.
0: That's right. Speaking of which, what are we talking about tonight?
1: I'd like to talk about hypocrisy and evangelifish ethics. Which um, an evangelfish is a floppy, spineless evangelical. Right, and there's a lot of them floating around these days. Seems like it, and uh, I think the, the term was coined by Douglas Wilson, the coiner of many a phrase. He's a wordsmith. That he guy. is. Yep. And um, I kind of, as a follow up, I'd like to have a follow up on the conversation we had with Pastor Jacob about Bruxy and um, the dangers of false teaching, and the shocking silence of TGC Ontario, especially, and Paul Carter um uh editors in in addressing the fact that they endorsed this guy and propped mm-hmm. him up and they overlooked and um criticized those who made serious allegations of false teaching mm-hmm. and uh now that the truth has come out and the fruit of false teaching is evident and there's been nothing and the problem now, am here I,
0: sorry to interrupt. Am I to understand though that they pretty much all they've done is remove a couple articles from their they, site? Yeah, they, like removed, they haven't actually published anything?
1: It, not that I've heard. Okay. They they hadn't as of my last year. I try
0: not to frequent yeah. the uh publication. Um,
1: but they hadn't they pulled an article that said props to Bruxy and uh, just commending him for his tone, which is the height of virtue for (laughs) Evangelifish, right? Yeah.
0: Tone is more important. I mean,
1: it's more important than orthodoxy. You know, you can deny penal substitution. You can, you know, promote wickedness, deny, yeah, the sufficiency of scripture. Live a life
0: saturated in adultery and fornication. Yeah, but if you're
1: nice and if you're winsome and you're likable, I mean, that's likability is next to godliness, right?
0: Well, that's how you get people to believe in God, is you be nice. Yeah, exactly. That's what Jesus did. That's the only reason why they don't believe, is because we're not nice enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it. So I wanted to expand on that a little bit and talk about hypocrisy. And the reason I want to talk about hypocrisy is because Jesus cares about this. Um, Not to to fire unnecessary shots or um, engage in unnecessary polemics, but um, there is a real pervasive problem of hypocrisy in the Canadian um, and American Reformed evangelical world. And this has been evident over the last couple of years in the response to the pandemic. And and by that, I don't merely mean people have disagreed on the nature of our obedience to the state. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying because someone disagrees in principle or as a matter of exegetical you know analysis um, exactly how we ought to respond or relate to the state they are a hypocrite I'm not saying that it, it could be because they're a hypocrite but I'm not saying that uh, it is the <clears throat> fruit and the pattern of behavior that they have modeled over the course of the last couple of years in response to this crisis. Mm-hmm. And if we look at scripture, which we're going to tonight, a lot of scripture, we'll see that it is it is it is characterized as hypocrisy. And Jesus warns his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Yeah. And the word leaven is what leaven is what you put in dough, right? And it's what makes it rise and it spreads throughout it. And um it multiplies. It's potent, yeah. it multiplies. And so it's dangerous because we're so susceptible um, to follow it, to embody it, to become it mm-hmm. ourselves. And uh, this is something that people. I mean, the danger in the church, according to Jesus and the New Testament in general, is the church. Like it's it's in us, you know, the danger of our own hearts and sinfulness that Christ is warning us about, and the and the apostles write letters to the New Testament churches to warn us of, um, and how we respond to the external threats around us. Uh, but it's not, it, it's, it's our own unbelief that we ought to always be vigilant against and calling out and uh, repenting of. And when we cease to do that, we are prone, like the Israelites, like the Pharisees, um, to fall into the ditch of hypocrisy.
0: So maybe before we go any further, we can have a definition of hypocrisy.
1: Well, hypocrisy is basically being two-faced. So it, it you know, a hypocrite was someone, um, you know, in a Greek play who, who wore a mask, right? It's someone who's masked. So they present themselves as one thing, but they're actually another thing. And so, it, fundamentally, that's what a hypocrite is. It's right.
0: someone who's not really what they proclaim to be. Right. We often link it with oh you t- you said you told somebody else to do this, but you went and did the opposite. yeah and Jesus and that's one aspect of it
1: yeah, that's one aspect Jesus Jesus touches on that, but i've I've got like thirteen texts that really get at what it what a characteristic of a hypocrite is. All
0: right well, let's get into it.
1: um the first thing we need to know and we need to read the story right in the gospels is that hypocrites uh, often hold positions of religious and moral authority. Um, this is, look, we need to learn to read stories and we need to read with humility. So we've talked on the pod a lot about, you know, the classic way a Canadian learns history is we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, thank God for us. When we really ought to be reading history with the lens of, um, okay, maybe we were on the right side of that one, that conflict like World War II, but what led to Germany, you know, annihilating 6 million Jews, you know what was that? Because it wasn't one guy um, by himself, and and you realize that it was, if if you do a serious analysis, that it's a problem a rot in the human heart, a whole Mm -hmm. host of issues, and so we ought to read history with a lens to ourselves. And Jesus says this, you know, don't don't before you look at the the speck in someone else's eye, take the plank in yours. Um, One of the ways we read the story wrong in the Gospels is that we think. The Pharisees are like the overly conservative grandma. Like, I've heard so many Christians say this, that you're a legalistic Pharisee if you just have a high standard of personal obedience or something, or you, you think that you have duties towards God and neighbor, like, hey, we should read our Bibles every day. It's like, don't be legalistic, or don't be a Pharisee. The Pharisees uh, were not the curmudgeonly outsiders, they were the respectable class, mm-hmm. that's who they were, and we've talked before about how people miss that the Sanhedrin was a civil and religious authority, yeah, which means according to the standards of Paul and Peter Romans thirteen and in the letters of Peter, we ought to submit to them, but clearly um there were ways in which the disciples did not. We think about the book of Acts. Should we listen to. We obey you or or or, or God, mm-hmm. obey man or God, and so I find a lot of Christians today just don't understand the characters in the story. So the first thing is hypocrites. Jesus um, talks about this in John. Uh, Well, in Matthew 23, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and they are the hypocrites. And the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious gatekeepers and the moral exemplars. They're the people that the culture would have looked to. To put it negatively, they are the ones that you would not want to be on the wrong side of. Yeah. Because of shame, John nine twenty two. Multiple times it says that people avoided following Jesus because yeah. they were afraid of being put out. That's
0: right. They had the authority to to put you out of the synagogue. Yes. make It would be like being refused communion or something like yeah.
1: that. But yeah, but it's importantly out of the respectable middle. Right. Right? And so that's where we need to start. Mm. So when we're thinking about hypocrites in our minds, we're thinking about respectable, admired, revered, moral, Ethical religious gatekeepers. That's that's who the scribes and Pharisees were. Um, they are the they are the the hypocrites. Um, some characteristics hypocrites are concerned with appearing righteous, even at the expense of being righteous. Matthew twenty three is an right. extended observation of Jesus, a condemnation on the on the hypocrites. Jesus said to the crowds, verse one. And to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Right. So they say one thing, but then they do another
0: thing. And what they're saying was generally right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and he says to listen to them, but don't follow them. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So what is their motivation? It's not the glory of God. It's not the good of people, because they're not even willing to help the people. They're not patient shepherds. They promote the morality
0: and the righteousness that they promote is intended to make them look good. Right. This is Ezekiel's uh, caricature of the shepherds feeding themselves, Yes, not feeding the sheep, not going after the lost sheep, Yes, but just aggrandizing themselves.
1: Yes. And um, they do everything to be seen by others. So again, it's an outward and inordinate concern with how you are perceived by other people. Um, And this is going to come up again in a text that we read that hypocrites have an inordinate concern with what people think about Hmm. them. And they can come up with all the pious and even biblical language to justify their actions to make people think well of them. Hmm. Um, We also see that hypocrites appear very morally serious and pious by taking very small, trivial matters very, very seriously. Right. And this makes sense because we're...
0: Naturally yeah. we think someone who is oh, so yeah. attentive. Hey, if you're tithing your mint and dill, you, Whoa. you must be like you've gotten that precise with your yeah your giving. You would assume that they've tithed the rest.
1: Yes. Yes. If like, you're if you are checking off even all those little things, you must have done the big things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Jesus actually says it's the opposite. Mm. Um, well, wo- that's
0: a real temptation for all of us, isn't
1: it? Oh, yeah, it? of course, yeah. of course. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mel- dill- bleh, mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And one of the ways that they maintain the veneer of righteousness is they highlight the things that are easy to do. Um, which are simple to do, you know sprinkle some of your sprinkle some of your spices in front of people Now people will think, wow, that guy's really religious, really committed, really moral, really righteous. But actually in the Bible, the hard thing to do is actually justice and mercy
0: and faithfulness. So what does this look like now?
1: Well it looks like people showing moral indignation, over the way that someone talks while remaining utterly silent on the oppression and injustice of lockdowns. Right. That's what that looks like. Um, that is a sign of a hypocrite. If you have been um, concerned with the, the way the conversation goes and not the vulnerable, um, oppressed, afflicted people in your church and in your culture and advocating for them, you're just a flagrant hypocrite. And, and it seems like you're really moral and ethical and righteous because you're showing a great concern over even the way we say things. But Jesus
0: would say it's just actually a sign of hypocrisy. I was thinking about this earlier, uh, just driving around, I saw, you know, you see the one lone guy walking around outside with his mask on. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, A, I'm kind of sad for the guy, but I'm, yeah. but I'm also thinking, like, what is he thinking in his head? and. Uh, it's kind of hard for me to put myself in that position, but I imagine what he's thinking is I'm the one who's doing my part. Yeah. Like all these people don't care. I'm the only one that cares. Oh and yeah. You've kind of got that. Your COVID theater definitely appears, appeals to the self-righteous hypocrite
1: because it's like, if I put a cloth on my face, it's as if I've like abolished slavery. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I'll do these little easy things That's to do. That's the dill. Yeah, it's yeah. like nothing, but it's a sign of my virtue. Right. But really, it's like, you know, you probably still support abortion. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, you're not actually a very moral, ethical person, a righteous person. Um, and your, your commitment to tedium is actually an indictment on you, hmm. right? Um, and Christians need to get this, because— the reason Jesus is pointing this out, he's he's pronouncing woes, which are curses. He's saying, the curses that I promised um, be, as part of the covenant that I've made with you are falling on you. Mm. Don't miss this. Yeah. God is pronouncing judgment on the people who appear the most righteous, Yeah, the most respectable, the most—think of the person that you wouldn't want them to write a blog about you condemning you. If it's someone who wrote a blog and you're like, that guy's an idiot, he's probably not in that category. It's the person who, if they were to write about you or your church, you would feel ashamed.
0: Maybe it's the person you grew up idolizing. Yeah. Reading their books. Yes. Listening to their sermons. Yeah,
1: And it's not to say that those people, I mean, there's lots of people who I love and respect and admire who are great, godly, righteous men. If they were to write about me, I'd feel ashamed too. But the point is that the hypocrites are ones that you would also likely be tempted to be ashamed, hmm. um, to be put outside of their presence. Um, another way that hypocrites appear righteous, and this is classic, is by identifying themselves with righteous men. And so the Pharisees right. did this with the patriarchs.
0: Yeah, they built the tombs of the prophets. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 30, if... Uh, um, If we had lived in the day of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the son of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom whom you will kill and crucify. Some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. And this is, I mean, the Reformed world, this is huge, right? Right. In your sermon, in your blog, quote the patriarchs, quote Calvin, quote Luther, quote Baxter. There's that one quote, the only time you've read Baxter. Yeah. Quote Owen, quote the Puritans. This is, of course, get a Puritan quote there, and you are just, you are a righteous person. And uh, do your church history degree, you know, and wax on about faithful men and put quotes of them in your Twitter feed and... Just do everything you can to say that this I'm on this guy's team. But Jesus is, this is what the Pharisees did. Yeah.
0: But Jesus is like, hey, man, you would have killed the prophets. Yeah, I can imagine them taking time out from, you know, gilding one of the tombs of the prophets to go and crucify Jesus before they got back to their work. Yeah, exactly. Deco- decorating the tomb. Decorating like, the tomb. You, Yeah, the fact that you think that you're on their side yeah. while you're right in the middle of persecuting me. Yes, and about to kill me? Yes. If <laughs> just, you believe
1: Moses, you'd believe me because yeah. he spoke of me. And it's the same thing. If like if you were really on John Owen's team, you would have kept your church open. You know, if you were really on Baxter's team, if you were really on the Puritans' team, like what kind of joke is this? Like yeah. it, it's actually. Didn't the Puritans
0: just, like move continents because they couldn't practice their religion? Yeah, it, it's just <laughs> it's actually just a
1: so. It's such a, a, a joke, yeah. and it's disgusting, but it's like, these guys, man, if someone showed up, if a John Owen showed up, or a John Calvin, or a Martin Luther, they would literally hate him. They would hate him. They would write blogs about him and his tone.
0: They would talk about how he's
1: not winsome.
0: Yeah, I mean, have you read Martin Luther's quotes? Like, yeah. the guy had a fiery, fiery disposition towards yeah. other, you know, other yeah. believers, you know, there was no holding back. Yeah. So.
1: So, so this is what hypocrites do. They say, like, look, I'm, I am um, identifying with righteous men who they really don't actually have an affinity with. Um, hypocrites live for the glory of man and not the glory of God. This is fundamental to what a hypocrite is. In John 5.44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory from the only God? And this is, this is pervasive in the reformed evangelical culture, and it needs to be acknowledged and repented of. It often goes under the guise of cultural engagement, which is really just a cover for the pursuit of cultural acceptance. And this is a big problem because we are called to engage culture. We are not called to be universally accepted by culture. And I think there's something that happened with Tim Keller um, being – such a rock star in New York. And I've appreciated a lot of what Keller has done. And, and, and I don't bring his name up to, um, I actually haven't read any of the recent controversy surrounding him, but assuming the best of him and his ministry, at least back in the day, he succeeded in New York, you know, the place where no evangelicals are, uh, where no reformed evangelicals are. And people just got jazzed up about the prospect of being cool. Mark Driscoll was in there and the church planner movement took off. And it was kind of like, you can have the appeal of a rock star and be a pastor and you can be so cool and knowledgeable. And, you know, my dad would say hip and, and be a pastor. Like you can be follow Jesus and be the pastor to the celebrities. right? And they, we just, and it's not necessarily the fault of, those guys, but there's this thing, and I've been a part of this for a while, that's kind of like the line became blurry between being effective at engaging culture and being affirmed
0: and approved by culture. Yeah, I have a hard time visualizing any church in New York being faithful and being liked at the same time, especially in a city like New York.
1: Well, I think it depends who you're liked by. Right. And, um, I mean, Jesus at times did have crowds and I think the gospel message is not only powerful, it is compelling Mm -hmm. and it is the truth. And in in Acts, you see, um, Ephesus just turned on its head and I think that God... Yeah. They also had a five hour long riot. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's
2: conflict. Yeah.
1: But the, we, I have a category for enormous success of the gospel, um, But I think that, I think the success, we think about TGC, and I've learned a lot from them, um, but there's a danger we need to be aware of, that there's a desire to have the praise from men and the glory that comes from men, and that we cannot believe, Jesus said, if we seek that above God's glory. And no matter how much we say for God's glory and soli deo gloria and this and that, Um, Our hearts are prone to idolatry and to constantly be doing things for people's approval and praise. And the danger is when the litmus test of our faithfulness becomes the applause and the affirmation of men. That's a dangerous thing. And if we start thinking about it in terms of false dichotomies, like either you are winsome or you're a jerk, then you're probably on the wrong path. Right. Those are not our categories. You can seek to persuade, you can be patient, you can speak with gentleness, and you can speak um, directly with conviction and condemning all these. You can speak a thousand different ways, um, according to the scripture. But if you begin to have only one way that you can talk, and that is a way that the most amount of people will respect you and like you, uh, you are on the path of hypocrisy, Hmm. because that's what hypocrites love. That is the guiding motivation for them.
2: Uh, the mm-hmm.
1: glory that comes from man and not from God. Um, hypocrites are deeply fearful of criticism. Um, Matthew 21, though they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So where did they come for Jesus? At night. Yep. <laughs> right? These are not men who are willing to die for their convictions because again, um, they're fake, they're phony people. And they live for the praise of man, which means, conversely, they fear them. Whereas a prophet, a righteous man, does not fear men. A prophet loves men, but a prophet fears God. And uh, a godly man and woman and child will fear God and none other. But you see the fact that these hypocrites don't truly fear God because they're terrified of the opinions of the crowd.
0: Um. You see that, uh, I forget which uh, pericope it's in, but where Jesus is giving instruction and it says, uh, and the scribes and Pharisees uh, got mad because they perceived he was speaking about them. Yeah. It's like, hey, are you talking about us? Yeah. And that's what made them mad. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, Hypocrites also resent repentance while trying to appear repentant and contrite. So Mm. they can preach a sermon on repentance and they can talk about the necessity of repentance and... But when it comes down to it, um, they don't actually like doing it. And Jesus brings this up in Luke 18. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. A a hypocrite loves to exalt himself and hates to humble himself. And in the end, um, a hypocrite's greatest reward is the thanks and the adulation they receive in this world because they won't receive the commendation of God. Mm. And it is the wretched and the vile and the poor and the downcast and the needy who acknowledge their depravity and their wretchedness and their need for Christ and His forgiveness that will receive His reward, Mm. will be forgiven, will receive His righteousness. And uh, one sign of a hypocrite is that they resent saying they're wrong. They resent humbling themselves. And, you know, being in this game for a little time now, you know, 15 years or something, it is sadly uncommon for um, prominent pastors to ever say they were wrong about something. And I remember I wrote, I won't say who it is, a very prominent pastor privately about something that he wrote that I felt like was not only offside, but contradicted a lot of what he had taught. And Um, thanked him for his ministry, and he wrote me back and thanked me and said he agreed with a lot of what I wrote, and the next day issued a um, public, not an apology, just publicly confessed that he was offside in something. And it just made me realize, it's like, oh, that's why you're worth listening to you, because you're a humble guy Mm -hmm. who's, why would he need to listen to me? I'm a nobody who wrote him one of a thousand emails, you know? But it's it's a guy who takes God and his word seriously and not himself. Yeah. And as soon as he realized like, yeah, you know what, that wasn't that wasn't right, he corrected it. That person's actually trustworthy. Yeah. A hypocrite fears like, oh, they're gonna see me, they're gonna see that I'm not perfect, therefore they keep up the veneer and they hate repentance. But the humble realize, Well, I'm not perfect.
0: Yeah. And those are the <laughs> so people So why would we, I pretend to be? Those are the people we follow and trust. Yeah. Is the people who are humble and yes. honest.
1: Yes. Yeah. And we need more of those. And it's a temptation as a leader to feel like, well, if I admit my shortcomings, or that even I've I've changed in my understanding of a particular doctrine or an application of it, people are gonna you know write off what I say. And you just need to reject that. Like whatever God's word says, do it, believe it, obey it. If that contradicts something else you said or did. Um, then you need to just own that. And that's not actually, that doesn't disqualify you. That's the only thing that does qualify you as a minister of the gospel. And it's the unwillingness to acknowledge your own shortcomings. And uh, notice the contempt of this man for other people too. How do you maintain your righteousness? You, you have to posture yourself as being above other people. So the litmus test now is not God's law. It's mm. not God's word. It's actually the worst people I can find that I compare myself to. And look, oh, I'm not like these people, so I'm righteous. So even though they appear, he's even talking to God, like they're super spiritual, they don't take God seriously at all. They don't take his standard seriously at all. And I wonder if some of this is behind the recent um, despising of theonomy. Yeah. I mean... Let's let's grow up and move past the caricatures, right? Like no one's advocating for um, us to start just stoning people or something like that. Um, but the absolute aversion to God's word being a standard over all of life—yeah—why are you afraid of that? Yeah, like do you not believe which that is,
0: God's word is true and good? Which is weird because it already is enshrined in our law yes. in many ways, yes, and nobody has a problem with it, yeah. But when we want to push the ball further. And call you know call people to more faithfulness. Yeah, then it becomes a problem.
1: Yeah, because the standard of God's word is one that none of us reach, and if God's yeah. word becomes a standard, then we are all condemned. Yeah, and we all need grace, and we all need mercy, and and we all need the gospel. But if we can make these little laws that we abide by, and we are better than other people, and we can be righteous on our own, hmm. and I I don't think that's a small part of it um, at all. And he says this in Luke 18, hypocrites rely on their own righteousness by their works and not the righteousness of God given as a gift and received through faith. Luke 18, 9, he also told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Um, Another characteristic of a hypocrite is that they have a willful refusal to see and respond to the truth despite possessing the ability to do so, mm-hmm. especially when that truth challenges and corrects them. yeah. And um, Jesus says this in Luke 12, he said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the West, you say at once, a shower is coming and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Why do you not judge for yourself what is right? So Mm. what he is condemning these people for, and he says it's hypocrisy, is that they're able to look at the sky and say, I know what the the weather will be like tomorrow. Um, And yet they do not exercise the same faculties of reason and judgment to discern the truth. Mm. And um, we have just seen this rampant over the last couple of years. Yeah. that you can make a case up until the end of 2020 the second lockdown you know in December that there was like the public was still getting some information um, I mean that's stretching it but uh, when pastors were still living in the illusion that the state's overreach was justified, um mm-hmm. and that everything they were saying was true. Uh that is either a level of ignorance and naivety that automatically disqualifies you from leadership. Um or it is a sign of a willful denial of the truth. Right. And what and what I said before, most guys just stop looking at this point. And this is what I've observed. I haven't and and if you know of someone, I haven't Thought of one person who disagrees with me who has read a tenth of what i've read, they are not characterized by a tireless pursuit of the truth they're they they are they are content with excuses mm-hmm. look i've said in my mind this i'm not going to look at it I'm not going to look into vaccines i'm not going to look at the cost of lockdowns i'm not going to look into our government. Polity. I'm not gonna look into the legal issues surrounding this. I'm not gonna look into the consequences on the poor. I'm not gonna look at the consequences in our healthcare system. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do any of that. I'm gonna close my eyes. I'm not, I'm not
0: eyes. gonna respond to your exegesis of
1: I'm not big gonna texts, give you know? any more than a tertiary glance at a text and just enough that I can feel in my conscience that I'm justified. And I look around and there's some other guys doing the same thing. Done. Uh, mm. that's just hypocrisy. Because you don't hopefully um, study the text for your sermon that way, so flippantly. Um, before COVID, you weren't so dismissive of other things. Um, but but now, when it's costly, when the consequences could be potentially huge for you, when it could mean the loss of your job, your cushy job, when it could mean that your board, um, several board members step down, or high-paying donors, or whatever it is, conflict in the church, all of a sudden... Um, you have no responsibility whatsoever to know anything. That's just
0: that's just sheer hypocrisy. Reminds me of um, when Jesus is uh, discussing with the Pharisees, and I can't remember exactly where this is, maybe it's in your notes, but uh, where he's talking about people being blind, and they ask him, are we blind? And he yeah. says, no, mm. now you're not. Yes, because I know that you know the truth now because I've told you. Yes, and so you're not without guilt now. Yeah, otherwise you so, would be without guilt. Yeah, but now that you, where is that? I, 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 I forget it, where yeah. that is. But that's that's kind of the thing. It's like you've seen you've you, you've been confronted with the truth mm-hmm. and you've hardened your heart.
1: Yeah, yeah, and even if someone was to rise from the dead, you wouldn't believe. Like yeah. they kept seeking a sign. Yeah, but it was actually a very deceitful thing. Um, they weren't really willing to accept the consequences
0: of what he showed them. right it was like it was like uh, Pharaoh. Here's, yeah. an, here's another sign. Uh, okay yeah uh, maybe you got to give me another one. yeah here's another sign you know it was I mean Jesus' life was uh, ministry was filled with uh, the miraculous signs yeah bearing witness to what he was saying yeah and they just confused they just uh, refused to acknowledge the signs even on the cross. Know, he give us a sign. If you come down from there, we'll uh, we'll believe you. Yeah, and then he did. Yeah, essentially, rose from the dead, and they still didn't believe him. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, Another characteristic is they break God's law in order to uphold human traditions. Matthew fifteen. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat. So they're trying to say, like, you guys are not righteous. You, you know, They're trying to posture themselves as being more righteous than mm-hmm. than Jesus. I mean, bad move, right? Yeah. He answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I see your elders' traditions, and I raise you the commandment of God. Yeah. Um, for God commanded on your father and your mother and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. He goes on to say, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines the Mm. commands of
0: men. He wasn't even accusing them of breaking some obscure law in the back of leviticus like this is in this is in the the ten commandments yes in the decalogue on your father and mother you're not even doing that yeah you found a way to get around that one yeah but you'll wash your hands before you eat well and, and you think you're righteous for it
1: yeah and think about this how they obscure what god has plainly commanded in order to uphold what god has not said right so think about even going back to the closing churches um Paul Carter wrote an article, and the title of it insinuated that there was no moral obligation in the New Testament to gather together on the Lord's Day. And it was an exegesis of Hebrews 10, which was bad, by the way.
0: Well, if that's your conclusion, then yeah, that's bad exegesis. Yeah.
1: and But the point is, you know, Wyatt Graham was stumbling over himself later to say, no, he wasn't making a general reference to our obligations. He was just commenting on a particular text, which was deceitful and disingenuous um, and cowardly on his part. And what Paul was doing is trying to get around the moral responsibility that virtually every Christian from every culture at every point in the church's history has known, yeah. which is there is some kind of obligation on believers to gather together the Lord to gather together on the Lord's day, Mm -hmm. everyone.
0: It's even in our name, the ecclesia, the church, means the assembly.
1: Yes. (laughs) And so the attempt to obscure what is not only plain in the text. But commanded explicitly. Explicitly commanded, and even put negatively, do not forsake um, uh, gathering together, right? Assembling, and the dangers that come with that. The attempt, the underhanded, uh, conniving deceitful attempt to undermine that to the effect of which is to make people feel I don't have a duty to go to church therefore I'm not neglecting what
0: God commands right is a sign of hypocrisy right it's so this this type of hypocrisy would be trying to make God's word conform to your desires and your intellect and your actions yeah right you want you want this to conform to whatever you like doing yeah or whatever you think is expedient.
1: Yeah, yeah. and You have clever ways of obscuring what is plain if it's hard for you to do it. Right, and, um, and and placing burdens on other people and coming up with traditions. You know, the way that we ought to speak, for example, the tone winsome, whatever, whatever in the world winsome is. Um, that's what we must be. So, and TGC does this all the time. I just read that article in light of Roe oh, vs. Wade, yeah, and. You know, and after Roe versus Wade, choose compassion over culture war. And he actually says, "Now isn't the time for the church to beat its chest in celebration of the victory in
0: the culture war? This yeah. is a moment for us to step so, up and love." It's like, let me translate that: uh, the slaves have been emancipated, but don't don't uh, celebrate too hard because those slave owners are hurting right now. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> it's, it's 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 with Christian
1: language. Yeah. Um, totally deceitfully creating a new reality. Yeah. It's like the culture war is whatever that is, it's antithetical to love. And if you are happy to see Roe versus Wade fall is a subtext, you're engaged in the culture war and you're not loving. Yeah. But it's like the only thing we're celebrating right now is the fact that children can't be murdered to the degree that they were before. Yeah. It's like, that is love, But to disingenuously posture oneself and create a narrative whereby to celebrate or to rejoice um, that evil and wickedness has in some way been lessened and that the oppressed have been raised up and the needy have been um, defended. Um, I mean, this is – every Christian should respond that way. But this – the fact that this got printed in a huge Reformed evangelical publication um, is a sign of just how deep the rot of, of hypocrisy and how profoundly immoral we yeah. have
0: become. There's just been so many exposures of, over the last couple of years of where we're at. And, I mean, with, with COVID with, uh, and now with this Roe decision, we're just seeing where people are actually at. Yeah. Whereas before they could mask it with conferences and language, uh, even the social justice stuff. This is sort yeah. of, these are the fault lines. This is like uh, Vodi Bakum's book, Fault Lines. The fault lines are there, they're just not exposed. Mm-hmm. And after this last two and a half years, they're now exposed. Yeah. We know where the fault line is. And unfortunately, a lot of the people we respected are on the other side of this fault line.
1: Yeah. and the, And the point, and even in this whole episode, is not to even posture ourselves, it's to warn the church. Like this. This kind of thing appears righteous, and and the morality and the righteousness that they promote is not biblical righteousness. Mm. And in some ways, it is actually an inversion of what God considers righteous. And they are on a, a lot of guys are on a dangerous path. Woe to you when you call good evil and evil good. If you look at celebrating that kids aren't dying, and you actually look at that with scorn and you use words like compassion for what we ought to be doing, um, you're on a dangerous path. And if we actually live for the praise of men, and if we assess the faithfulness of our witness by their response to us, their affirmation, their love for us, their praise of us, um, we will begin to look on true faithfulness with resentment.
2: Mm.
1: And, and, and if we're not cautious, we will actually see it as wrong. And that's a dangerous thing because the Son of Man was crucified. And it's, it's not a good thing to be more godly than God. And Jesus Christ loved perfectly, ex- expressed perfect compassion, said every word the precise way he was supposed to according to God's law. And in the end, he was killed by the hands of bitter, resentful, hateful men who were the moral, ethical, religious leaders of his day. So, if you are setting up a path of discipleship following that guy that avoids those things, it is literally not Christian. Mm. This is not a. This is not a schism. This is not a, a, a necessary engagement in polemics. This is literally a
0: warning to the sheep against the leaven of the Pharisees. Right, and that's important too. That we don't take the um, warnings against hypocrisy to only apply to. People in leadership. Yeah. Right. Jesus is using them as examples for us. Because people follow them. Yeah, because people follow them. They listen
1: to them, they read them, and they follow their example. But if this world views the praise of man as the the test of our ethics, I mean, you saw this come out in their view of persecution. Good grief. Even the church history professors who are like the world experts on the nonconformists, the dissenters, had no foggy clue of what the biblical definition of persecution is. Saying things that I would have heard at like a youth group when I was in grade seven, you know? And the irony is that these guys, the guys who came out, came out so loudly denying that there was persecution are people who are doing that to avoid persecution. Yeah, Because persecution in the Bible includes the slander and the scorn of men. And it's the very thing that they fear. And it's the very thing that they avoid at all costs, and so in their avoidance of, of, of scorn, of the shame that comes with following Jesus, they try to act like there's nothing to see here. There's no real persecution. And it's just, again, another example of hypocrisy. So I just felt burdened. The more I read, the more I see prominent people. I look at the last couple of years, there needs to be a reckoning. There needs to be an acknowledgement that there is a rot in the core of this, and this is not to be unnecessarily divisive. This is to welcome, as Paul did to Peter, um, to men who stand condemned for their hypocrisy to repent yeah. and to acknowledge and that you are filled with the love of men's praise and you are a coward. <sighs> mm. And we all have this in us. Yeah, I have this in me and you have this in you. No, I don't.
0: I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I got a big time.
2: I got a big
0: time. Big time, boys. The
1: beta host.
0: Beta host. <laughs> That's me.
1: <laughs> but we, do, we just need to call a spade a spade. Yeah. And uh, be cautious because the evangelifish ethics are really not ethical.
0: Yeah. Let if, the listener if somebody's, hear. If somebody's preaching nuance, be very, be very careful. Yeah, There's a right place for nuance, but usually when people are touting it, they're trying to get you to be soft on something.
1: Yeah, nuance in the Bible serves the purpose of moral clarity and conviction, which should lead to action. Um, deceitful, so-called nuance, serves the purpose of obscurity. Obfuscation, yeah. That's the, that's the purpose of it. Has God really said, right? Did he really say that? you Really, need to do that? That's that's demonic, deceitful, right? Nuance, obscuring right. what's
0: clear and obvious. Mm. Well, that's really helpful, that's really helpful and encouraging. A lot to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got any books on the go? I what's, do. What's going on? What are you reading? I'm reading, um,
1: his name's Schlossberg Idols for Destruction. That sounds good. I started that literally just cracked it open. I'm preaching on Acts nineteen twenty one, and uh, the riots. Yeah, and just what great, happens? Great is
0: Artemis of the Ephesians. Yeah, yeah.
1: and just the gospel confronts idolatry. And
0: um, what do you happens. you see? Do you see an analog like when I when I read that passage, I just think of all these people in the streets like screaming for their right to murder children right now. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Like, um, oh, it's so it's it's, uh, it's just this mindless uh, yeah. repetition of these really bad arguments over and over, and, yeah. and that's like that great as Artemis of the Ephesians. They just keep yelling it over and over for hours yeah. on end. You know,
1: yeah, um, yeah. It's a great text, and I'm going to be digging more into it tomorrow. But I'm mm-hmm. excited. I'm also reading. Uh, picked up Wilberforce's uh, a biography on Wilberforce by, Metaxes? by Metaxes. Nice. Didn't even know I had
0: it. I think I've got that, actually.
1: It's so good. Is it? Yeah, Metaxas is a great writer, and yeah. one of the observations I had was um, Wilberforce faced—it's easy like we do of the prophets, right? You look back and you give them honor, but they were not honored in their day. Yeah. And he faced a lot of scorn and criticism, even from the church, for what he did. And uh, it was an uphill battle. So I'm excited to get into it as we've been talking, you know, Mm. on the podcast and with Laura just about abortion and how we can move forward. I just want to read about a guy who gave himself to abolishing a heinous practice that was so embedded in the structure of society. He almost
0: single-handedly is responsible for the end of the slave trade.
1: Yeah. And just think, what lessons can I learn and how has the Lord worked and what can we do in our day?
0: I think, though, he's really guilty of Christian nationalism, trying to get Christian morals applied in in politics. Yeah, God forbid. That's Christian nationalism. We shouldn't be doing that. No, no. anyway. Loving your neighbor (laughs) would be a terrible thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I just finished a biography of a missionary named Joe Cannon. Okay. Uh, Andrew, uh, our friend Andrew, gave that to me. Uh, He's got a bunch of these missionary biographies. Cool. It was really interesting. He went to uh, Japan, Papua New Guinea, uh, and that's some tough soil. Ukraine. Uh, yeah, pretty crazy. Some of the stories. Um, what time period is this, this? Is so he died, I believe, within the last fifteen years. Okay, but he was on the he was in the field for like sixty five years. Wow. Um, grew up in Toronto and uh, but ended up being mostly based out of the states. Uh, but the story the, the, the author told stories of some of the previous missionaries in the areas that he was into. and one of the one of the stories was from Fiji, which is is only recently been Christianized in a sense, only recently been uh, you know uh, preached the gospel to. And up until the mid-1800s, there were still cannibals. And uh, missionaries, mm. missionaries went and uh, began oh, com- yeah. converting the Fijians to Christianity, and now it's largely, largely a Christian culture. To it's some amazing. Degree or another. But then the Fijians became missionaries to all the other islands wow. in the area, and they would go to they would they would basically, you know, they would go and preach the gospel in Fiji, and a, a city would be converted, a town or a village would be converted, and all the all the people would be like, "Well, we got to go now. Now we have to go." Wow and basically the the men would build a casket, put all their belongings in the casket and get on a boat and go And most of them never came back because they were going to these cannibalistic islands and remote tribes in the in the heartland of uh, Papua New Guinea Wow where it's like no nobody's ever no outsider has ever been there yeah you know? and so they just went knowing that they were probably going to die. It's amazing just wave after wave of these missionaries from Fiji going. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing story. Yeah.
1: There was a video that went viral a year or two ago about the I believe it was the Fiji rugby team singing oh my goodness. a worship song. Didn't you show me that I showed you that. It was
0: so good. Yeah. Yeah. it still brings tears to my eyes when I see that. And
1: to think that those that country has only had the gospel for like yeah. less than two hundred years kind of thing. Yeah,
0: they're singing uh a, a, sort of a modernized version of Revelation thirteen, talking okay. about the the martyrs who have overcome by by the blood of the Lamb and the yes. Word of the Lord. So
2: yes, so by good. By
0: the blood of the Lamb and the Word of the Lord. It's, so it's, good. A mem- it's a catchy melody too. Yes. It's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll throw that on as our end music this yeah, week. That's good. We'll see. Yeah. Awesome. Well that's a it's a pretty long episode. Not not as long as Pastor Jacobs. I think that's still the record for us. But
1: Another one down on the pod. Hope but it was a good right. date night. Yeah,
0: yeah, to, uh, to all the people having a date, you know, maybe time to turn the TV off and go enjoy the stars outside or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Stop listening to two white guys bloviating. And if you're a white guy and you don't have your own podcast, what are you doing? Like, what are you even doing with your life? <laughs> Isn't that what white guys do is sit around and talk? it and then, is and then make a podcast on yeah. it yeah yeah happen to us yeah it can happen to you well thanks very much we'll leave you with this oh yeah may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth may all kings fall down before him all nations serve him we'll see you next time